Welcome to the Sleeper and the Bust, and you're probably a little bit thrown off kilter here because you don't usually hear me setting things up here, and I'm feeling a little weird actually, but uh, Mike Podhortzer got a day job, and uh, he's not going to be able to, to, to host this anymore, uh, so I've got a, a new co-host, and I'm really, I'm really excited about this, and I think you guys will be too. Uh, well, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, I lost my day job, so I'm now hosting the podcast. This is Jason Collette, uh, and so I'm doing this. I threw, you know, the curveball made him start off, but we are live at the winter meetings uh, in Orlando, Florida, that we actually had some action today uh, after a rather boring Monday and a meh Tuesday. We, uh, Wednesday has been uh, rather busy, right? Yeah, and actually one of the things that we usually start this thing off with is uh, the most interesting man alive, uh, and today that's Logan Morrison. Um, and so, you know, it's a really interesting deal because he's going from one pitcher's park to another pitcher's park. He's a, a real bounce-back guy. He used to have some power. We don't know where it went. Maybe it went into the ankle injury. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, part of what's been so busy here today is I've, find, I've tried to find one person to give me one good comment about Logan Morrison. It is 5 o'clock on Wednesday, and I've yet to find that one person. Um, it, everybody, the concerns were a few. The concerns are, one, he is mostly an upper body guy. He doesn't have much lower body strength, which is where the ankle injury has come from, which is some of the other issues that he's had. He just doesn't have a lot of leg strength, and that's part of the issue. I mean, there's some off-the-field stuff, but nobody had a good comment to say about him, and I know that you Sometimes we get in targets about regressive, uh, regressive targeting and, oh, this guy had a bad year, let's pounce on him. And I'm cool with that sometimes. But in this case, I, I don't know. He doesn't. This move doesn't excite me at all. It's just a change of scenery. It's up to him if he takes advantage of it. Yeah, and another thing about that is, um, you know, the ankle injury, um, you know, I think the ankle injury might be an issue. Yeah, go ahead. The ankle injury might be an issue because um, it's really limited him in the field. He hasn't been a good defender since he hurt it. Uh, the last couple of years has actually gotten really bad. Uh, they've tried him in the outfield. I think that that's kind of out the window. And if you're talking about first base, unless they make another move, Justin Smoke is probably the better defender at first base. So now you're talking about him as the designated hitter. The designated hitter gets a 10% penalty when he gets to the plate. So, you know, Logan Morrison, bounce back Logan Morrison, is now 10% behind the curve. And that's without talking about the state of his ankle, really, or, or if his power is going to play in Seattle. So, uh, you know, if you're talking about a super deep league, everything changes. Maybe you can just uh, put him on your roster and see what happens. But um, I don't think he's a mixed league target in any way. The other thing that stands out here is, you know, first thing that comes to mind is, you know, what about Jesus Montero? But Jack Zarenzik was very clear when he said that Montero was on the outside looking in as things stand, stand now. And that was his comment two days ago before the move for Morrison and Corey Hart today. But uh, if you're worried about where Montero fits in the puzzle right now, that doesn't look like he fits at all in this puzzle. And it is a puzzle because, I mean, you know, you just said it, Corey Hart's there too now. Um, so you've got uh, maybe a corner outfield spot open, first base and DH. Uh, and you've got Smoke, Morrison, and Hart. 
and it's really kind of it's not that easy to see um, you know who's going to take what, and it kind of matters a little bit. Um, but uh, Hart, I'm a little bit more interested in. I always thought he was going to decline really fast because um, he's a big guy, kind of got the big strike zone, the right. Sexton thing, and um, you know I, I didn't think that I, I did like the fact that he had some speed, but that's kind of out the window now. And it, you know I think that a lot of the things that uh, made him interesting to this point are kind of out the window. So uh, Corey Hart, I do think is closer to mixed league uh, interest. Um, I'm not sure he's much more than a bench spot play right now, but. Uh, um, you know he does have you know he does have real power it's not just a Milwaukee thing yeah I mean he Nelson uh, I want to say Nelson Cruz because that's what Corey Hart reminds me of but yeah. I mean Corey Hart has a Nelson Cruz skill set as he it did both guys are slowing down obviously Hart's got the bigger concern coming off the microfracture surgery I mean he does have some rather pronounced home road splits uh, if you look at what he what he's done in Milwaukee at Miller Park compared to what he's done on the road it's not terrible um, you know it, it wasn't a surprise that he signed with Seattle because his family lives in Arizona. He said he wanted to be closer to uh, closer to his family, so Seattle is uh, was a nice landing spot for him. And he's on the Mike Napoli deal, one year, five million guaranteed. There's another eight million in incentives. A lot of people were were dumping on the Mike Napoli deal this time last year, saying, "Oh, that hip, it's not going to work." What happened? And look at the year Mike Napoli ended up having. So if Hart can uh, duplicate what Napoli did, yeah, it works. He's still a mixed league play, but honestly, to me, if I were in a 15 team mixed league, I'm not going in the double digits for him. And I'm not taking them before the 15th round. Yeah, um, and you know, it is nice in real life. He does have the the, the the patience set, and you know, if he can recover a little bit with the legs, he can he can be a defensive um, asset. He has been in the past, uh, but in fantasy, we don't care as much about that unless it's an on base percentage league. I just think about it a little bit because of the other big slugger um, changing places uh, this week, which was uh, Trumbo uh, heading from uh, pitcher friendly Anaheim, um, which is uh, by the way, this neither here nor there. It's like my least favorite stadium, I think, in baseball. It's very milk toast, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, and it, and it, you know, it just doesn't have any of the, even that concrete charm of like a coliseum. But um, you know, and, and and you know, I hear that the Trop has Cigar City. Yeah, we have Cigar City Brewery in Tropicana, which makes it one of the best part the best parts in the, in the uh, country. <laughs> yeah, despite all that other stuff. Uh, but anyway, uh, Trumbo is heading to the desert, which uh, I have to think uh, is going to make people get really excited uh, about his power. Um, and I, I'd be comfortable adding, you know, two, three, four, five. I don't want to, like, overrate uh, home park situations and, and get really too excited about that. He's still going to hit in the AT&T. He's still going to hit in Petco. You know, so I, I think that uh, you can hit maybe add three, four homers to the to the total, your projection. Maybe he's going to be 36, 37, you know, uh, and that's going to be great. Uh, I don't, people I've been seeying on the internet that people think he's going to steal more, but people don't steal a lot for the for the Diamondbacks. Not under Kirk Gibson, they don't. Uh, I mean, I know this sounds kind of funny to say that I think he's coming to a bit of a career crossroads, but I do think he is. I mean, we know from the work that Bill Petty did that you know, out of zone, you know, your out of zone contact starts falling off precipitously at age 28, 29. Trumbo's age 28 now; he'd be 20, turns 28 before the season, and that his rate was already below league average. So if that's going to start falling off, the other issue is his contact within the strike zone is also 
also each of the last three seasons he's been a full-time player has gotten worse. I have a piece going up uh, on the ESPN Sweet Spot blog uh, today as we're recording about this, but the last three years that contact rate within the strike zone has gone down because he's essentially the same type of guy. If you've watched a Trumbo at bat, you know you can work if you get the fastball in enough because he's got tremendous coverage on the inner half of the strike zone, and that's where he does a lot of his damage. If you make a mistake and he will punish it, but if you get enough in and hit your location and change his eye level or move his feet a little bit, that that breaking ball, whether it be a curve or a slider on the lower corner of the strike zone, is still a problem for him. It always has been a problem for him. Uh, and that's where he's having his issues. You look at his strikeout rate, it's gone up each of the last three seasons because his contact rate within the strike zone has been the problem. And that's worrisome for me. Again, with that out-of-zone contact already a problem, and now in-zone contact, this could be, you know, we've seen Mark Reynolds fall off rather quickly in the last two years. We saw Richie Sexton fall off. And this is where I think Trumbo could head. I never, I didn't like this deal in the first place. I would have kept Eaton and Skaggs if I were running the team, but that's why I don't run the team. Ah, well, that's that's a little funny. The one thing, the one thing that I did like about the deal is that I don't like Skaggs. Um, I, maybe I like him at ninety three, ninety four, but uh, at eighty nine, like he was last time. I, I, the way I put it was, uh, he's Barry Zito. Uh, he's a young Barry Zito with an old Barry Zito fastball. So I'm um, a little, I'm a little worried about. It. He has to throw the fastball high to kind of hide the hump on his big curve uh, and a high eighty nine mile an hour fastball. Everybody can get around on that. He's got to so. get, get better extended. On it, you know, and talking with things. So mechanic, I think mechanically, I think that's where his issue is. This is a mechanic thing. I don't think it's anything hiding an injury. I just think it's a mechanical thing. Yeah, uh, I, it could be. And if and he's young enough that that's that's probably what uh, Anaheim's banking on a little bit. Um, but uh, one of the things I think is really funny is that uh, there was a, a rumor that uh, that uh, a certain uh, GM uh, involved in the deal and not uh, didn't rhyme with Mick Mon. Uh, um, and doesn't have uh, two letters in his first name. <laughs> um, he's uh, uh, is uh, two two big letters in his last name. I mean, what I meant to say. Um, he uh, thought that Hector Santiago was the best player in the deal. Wow, um, Hector Santiago to me is more of. You know, he's been a swingman, and if you saw the column that I wrote earlier this week on what can Dominic Brown do for you, I mentioned that because the White Sox were looking to move, uh, potentially move young, controllable starting pitching, I said on the low end, you've got Hector Santiago. On the high end, you have Jose Quintana. I don't think Quintana for Brown would be a fair trade uh, for the White Sox, uh, and they should keep him, but I thought Santiago would be too low, and then Santiago, two hours later, um, gets dealt. I, you know, to me, I thought he had a ceiling of a fourth starter, um, and but they apparently think more of him. Yeah, I think the thing with Santiago is that the changeup is only okay. Uh, the screwball is a homer pitch. It's a really bad pitch. He throws about 84 thigh high. Uh, can't keep it down. And he, what he what he does is get a lot of whiffs off his fastball, which is, I mean, I, that's a good thing. Uh, it's a decent velocity. But I, I, for some reason, I distrust those guys. I want to have a secondary pitch that gets a lot of whiffs. I want I want at least two pitches. And for him, he kind of seems like a fastball guy with a uh, show me change. But uh, they turn that into Adam Eaton, and at first. I was worried about uh, about that for Adam Eaton because uh, you've got uh, Deaza who was playing center field, you got Viciedo, um, and you've got Abisail Garcia coming up. So I thought, uh oh, Eaton's the guy on the outs. So I asked Rick Hahn about it at the at the presser, and he said, uh, no, 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 uh, Eaton's our starting center fielder. We'll sort out left field. Deaza is uh, Deaza might be the starter. Viciedo, I'm still still taking calls on these guys, um, and uh, you know if. 
I guess what would happen if the team started play today um, is that Vicieta would get the starts against lefties, Diazo would get the start against righties, and uh, back up all the all the different positions probably. Yeah, it would be ideal if they could find somebody to take Dunn and pay half the salary just to get him out of the way. But, yeah, that's not going to happen. Again, I like the move for the White Sox. Eaton's going to be a top-of-the-order lineup hitter, and he's going to get that consistent playing time. Uh, and it'll be easier for him. When you look at Chase Field, you know it's got that big gap, the center field. So the center field there has a lot of responsibilities. Um, and it'll be easier for him to play in U.S. Cellular. The offensive effects, for it'll be you know, negligible for him. But just the fact that he's guaranteed a lot of playing time, which wasn't clear in Arizona, gives him an upgrade. Yeah, and you know, the, the pitchers. I, I I I bag on Skaggs, uh, but uh, there's you know, and I and you know, I was on Hector's on Hector uh, a little bit too. But they are going to a good situation in, in a pitcher-friendly park, and you know, I, I did say to someone, well, maybe they got two Jason Vargases. Sure, that could be it. I mean, the other thing that comes into play here is with Trumbull going to left field, that means Prado's coming back to third base, and Matt Davidson's value takes a hit because now he's got no clear path to playing time, which is unfortunate. Yeah, when they added Trumbull, it's because both Kevin Towers expressed an interest earlier in the offseason. Mid-September, he was talking to Nick Procoro and said, we need another power bat. And the president and CEO, Derek Hall, said, you know, Aaron Hill hasn't played out as we expected. Montero hasn't played out as we expected. Cody Ross didn't work. We need to add power. So you knew why they went and got Trumbo, but the trickle-down effect is it's going to block Davidson, which is unfortunate, and you, you know you move Prado back to third base, so from a fantasy perspective, great. He's going to keep that dual position eligibility that we all uh, know and love, but that's where my concern is. That's another reason why I don't care for the deal from Arizona's perspective. Yeah, and what about, uh, what about head center field? You know, Pollock is okay against righties, uh, but I, I, I forget what happens against lefties. Is Para a, a switch hitter? Uh, I forget what handedness Para is because if he's the right handedness, you could see Pollock um, losing a little bit of time against lefties. He does have that risk. He, he's got a kind of a bad platoon split. Yeah, I mean, to me, Parr should never come out of the lineup. I don't care what he does. His defense, his defense is so awesome. Uh, he should just stay in the lineup, especially with the park. Uh, that's what always, you know, when you saw him getting marginalized last year, when, you know, or two years when they signed Jason Kubel, you're like, oh, my God, why are you marginalizing would that you, defender? Would you play Parr over Pollock? Yeah. I, I, Pollock, to me, I always thought was the fourth outfielder, but I, I just value the defense. And I think with the pitching staff, I just leave Parr in there because he's just that much of a value add defensively. Well, that's interesting. Uh, so, you know, maybe I think that one's uh, that sounds like there's a little bit of risk there. There's a little bit of arbitrage opportunity there for uh, maybe it's time to pick up Para. Uh, you know, maybe Pollock is a little bit going to be overrated by some. We'll, we'll have to watch that one. Swing training, we'll, we'll shake it down a little bit. Uh, when I, I did talk to um, Mike Socha today, and uh, we asked him about, um, you know, what would happen uh, with him in the corner uh, if the season started today. And it sounds like Cole Calhoun is, is going to get. Get the uh, is going to get the run there, uh, but he did say that you know they might not be done shopping and there might be more on the way. So, uh, but Cole Calhoun is actually an interesting player. Uh, he's one of these guys that was old for his position, uh, old for his level. Every time through the minor leagues, uh, he hit uh, for power in power parks, uh, and it wasn't great power. So he hit for like league average looking power in power parks. So there's a lot of reasons not to like him. On the other hand, great play discipline and had a decent debut. So. I I don't know if you have any thoughts about Cole Cog. Yeah, I echo what you say. It's really tough to judge their prospects because a lot of them play in hitter-friendly environments, and then they come to Anaheim, which is not a 
hitting friendly environment. So it's always tough to judge them. But I liked what I saw from Calhoun when I saw him play last year. So it's nice he's getting this opportunity. Uh, so we'll see where it goes for them. But yeah, he's somebody who's I'm bumping up on my AL draft charts. And, um, you know, I guess uh, the, the, the scuttlebutt from that conversation was that C.J. Crone is not um, – he, he actually, Socha did say a, he's a stretch to make, the, to make the opening day roster and that he would be on the depth chart somewhere. But um, Crone is, I think, exactly what you're talking about where it's really hard to see. If he – you know, he looks kind of like Trumbo. He does, mm-hmm. has the bad uh, – a bad walk rate, you know, iffy strikeout rates, uh, not really athletic out in the field, kind of compact, uh, thick guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, the people who like him say it's real power. He'll make it work. The people who don't like him say, well, watch out for those, those, uh, those parks he's been playing in. Yeah, I mean, we saw him out in the Arizona Fall League, and everybody we talked to said, you know, that power's real. He put on some shows and batting practice. Uh, but, again, it, we'll see where it goes. I mean, Trumbo was what came to mind. When you watch him, you see him physically, you watch him hit, you're like, yeah, that kind of looks like another Trumbo uh, with everything, with limitations and with the strength. So we'll see where Anaheim goes with it. It's just nice that it seems like the opportunities are going to be there for the guys that earn it. It's not as crowded on the depth chart as it was this time last year. Yeah, and uh, I just, you know, there might be, he might be overvalued uh, because I think people will, will look at Crone and look at Calhoun and, and be much more excited about Crone, uh, whereas Calhoun can play the outfield better and is older and, 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 you know, has the blessing of the manager at this point. So I, I think, you know, uh, be careful about uh, overvaluing Crone. I mean, the old adage of baseball is offense gets you to the major leagues and defense keeps you there. Uh, so both of these guys can hit. It's the one that plays the better defense is the one that's going to get the playing time. So it's just pretty much always been there. I mean, you think back to when Trumbull was getting his playing time limited, it's because he couldn't play defense. And then eventually he's like, okay, you have to play. Uh, but that's that's really something to watch between Calhoun and Chrome. All right, so uh, what are some of the deals that uh, I know one of the ones that caught my eye, uh, and we, we, we you know we got a Tampa guy in the house now, so uh, uh, so Heath Bell is going to be like a top five closer this year, right? Absolutely, why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing with Heath Bell, if you look at what, what kind of flew under the radar last year when uh, his ratios were going to hell, is his strikeout rate went from twenty to twenty five percent, his walk rate went from ten to five percent. He got more swings and misses. Uh, the problem is right handed batters still see his fastball out of his hand pretty darn well. That's because he pitches from the far first base side of the rubber. Uh, if you think back to what, how the Rays fixed Rodney is they moved him. They moved him. It used to be Rodney was on the third base side of the rubber, and then when he would throw his fastball, it had so much natural tail, it was tailing out of the strike zone. They moved him all the way to the first base side of the rubber, and with that natural tail, the right-handers, I'm thinking of one particular at bat against Russell Martin, where Russell Martin thought he had a center-cut fastball, and it shattered his bat right at the handle. So that's the kind of thing I think what they'll do with Heath Bell is move him over a little bit because you know the stuff's there. He can command the fastball, but if they can see it out of his hand, if you look, I think he's given up 14 home runs over the last two seasons off his fastball, 12 to righties. And that's, to me, it's just they're seeing him too well. And you look at him mechanically, he's a short strider and a short armor. Jim Hickey loves toying with these guys. I think uh, you're going to see a diff- different Heath Bell uh, if they can, you know, do it with Farnsworth and Percival and J.P. Howell and Rodney. And, you know, they didn't have to tinker Soriano. He was what he was, not like he would have taken the coaching anyhow. But uh, we'll see Heath Bell. I think he's going to be a nice fit. Uh, and then the other alternatives are there. If he, if he falters, you've, you've got uh, Juan Carlos Oviedo is there. You've got Jake McGee, who I think is the new the new Matt Thornton, the guy everybody wants to close that will never close. Uh, and then Joel Peralta there. So there's options. 
Uh, actually, that's a really good comp because uh, Thornton throws his fastball like 90% of the time. So he throws his 95. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the one reason I liked it, um, you know, right away, you know, actually, I had two, like, really quick responses. The first one was, oh, my God, somebody wanted Heath Bell. And then the second one was, oh, crap, he's going to Tampa. <laughs> and I know he's going to be good because, uh, I mean, to me, it was just a park effects thing a little bit. Um, you know, there's got to be some uh, effect for, for Heath Bell in Arizona. Um, and uh, and the trop is pretty good for de- depressing it. So that already helps him out of the, on the homers. And, yes, you have the, the history there. Um, you know, just on the, on the topic of closers, uh, do we have a new closer? Closer in Houston? Yeah, I think we do. That was going to be the other thing I was going to mention. You look at, you know, we were talking with Morrison earlier about targeting guys coming off awful seasons. Uh, you know, Heath Bell is, is an example of that. The Marlins, I thought, did a good job last year of going to get Chad Pauls on a minor league deal, brought him up, and he was terrific in their bullpen last year. And one of the things that he did was uh, decided he was going to work, get back, fix his mechanics to get back his slider. I mean, his slider was his moneymaker. That's what he would get things out. And you'll recall in 2009 when he was closing for Arizona, that liner that came back up the middle and he tried to flag down, uh, ended up dislocating his kneecap coming out of that, and then the, that ended his season. He said he altered his mechanics after that to take weight off his knee, and it just he wasn't allowed, he wasn't able to get over on his front side, which wouldn't allow him to finish his slider off. And if you're a Phillies fan, a Pirates fan, a Yankees fan, if you were a fan of any of the six teams that he pitched for from 2010 to 2012, you saw this. And then last year he fixed, he went back to his old mechanics. Was able to get back on top of that slider, and his whiff rate on that pitch went way up, and that's what made him an effective reliever. And I thought the Astros did a nice job uh, of getting him. Why people really didn't recognize what he did last year to get back to the Chad Qualls that had value. Yeah, it is interesting because uh, you know I, I had a visceral reaction to that one too. Uh, that was negative at first. I mean, two years uh, for Chad Qualls just uh, it just felt wrong at first. But I mean, you're right about uh, the resurgence last year, and he has been useful in the past. Um, and they must be looking at the same sort of things that you're looking at. So um, you know, I just uh, and I guess you know what they, what they've done is they've shown a pattern right now of of being willing to to try and. Acquire Acquire pieces, um, you know, on, on two, three, four-year deals that you know might be undervalued and might give them trade assets or, or might just help them build towards being a better team. And you know, they have an atrocious rotation, or they did, uh, and they had an atrocious bullpen, one of the worst bullpens of, I feel like of all time. Uh, and you know, it's much better like thinking, well, you know, we have Qualls, he can probably close, and maybe Josh Fields will emerge into a closer long term or, or be a great setup man if he if he kind of corrals the long ball and, and sort of figures out his command a little bit. You know, maybe that'll work work out for us, but at least we have at least one guy in the bullpen that is probably going to be there instead of just hoping that, you know, something sticks. And they kind of did the same thing in the rotation. I mean, they, they spent 3-30 and 30 on Scott Feldman. It's not a name that I would want, uh, you know, it's not a name that would excite me. And it's not, I mean, it's a price that's it's decent, and especially now, and he can probably put up a win or two uh, when we're talking about wins above replacement. He could probably be worth his salary. Um, 
But it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a rebuilding team, you know, needs to find is their Scott Feldman. But, you know, they need to, they need to have some stability. They need to start winning more games. Uh, it's going to come into their TV contract discussions. They need to, they need to do something to sort of show that they're putting money on the field. They, there was a big dust up about whether or not they're making $99 million on a, you know, $2 million team, you know, in terms of payroll. Right. So now they're, 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 they're reinvesting in the team. But I don't know that it necessarily makes, I, I don't love these, the, the, these players and these deals yeah, so much in the vacuum. Um, and, uh, well, in a vacuum, they'd all die. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, what do you think about Scott Feldman? I was surprised by the move at first too. When I, you know, in my first blush, I was kind of like you with Jack Qualls. I mean, he got three thirty. Wow. Yeah. Um, the only thing that really concerns me, he doesn't. The skills don't concern me at all. It's the health. If you go back and look at his, his season by season games and innings pitch total, uh, he hasn't had back to back high innings pitch totals since two thousand six, two thousand seven. That concerns me. Uh, so it, that's where my concerns with him, skills wise, no. But he's he's a a low ceiling type guy, and his he's a low floor as long. He stays healthy. I just uh, that's my concern in there with him. Kind of like I said earlier, I'm not paying double digits for him. And I'm not taking him. I, I'll take him in the last five rounds in a mixed league on a flyer because he's a low risk guy. And if he gets hurt, you dump him. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too interested. I mean, Qualls, Qualls I'll take because, you know, if, I, if there's saves in my league, I, I need saves. In fact, I'll have Qualls on a ton of teams because I'm, I'm always the cheapest closer guy in the room. Um, it, it really, really was a great strategy for me in labor this year. Um, it actually was. I mean, I, I did okay. I had Benoit, uh, Bailey, um, and uh, I forget, I had another, I actually had another closer. But anyway, uh, I think Qualls is, is a decent one. It's an interesting team, though, uh, as a team, because, you know, I saw Bo Porter today, and uh, he said, you know, he said, we had, how many people do we have play for us last year? And he was like, do we have like 65 position players play for us last year? And uh, I think everybody got uh, sort of 100 to 150 plate appearances, which I think was totally on purpose. It was, you know, basically everybody come up and give us a nice sample that we can look at your contact rate. There's certain things that, that become uh, stable in 150 plate appearances. So we're going to get this, this data from you at the major league level. And if it doesn't work out, we don't need to necessarily stick with you because we've got some data that we can evaluate you with. You. And we have these other guys we need to check out. And I think that process might continue a little bit this year, but we're going to start to see people solidify roles. I think we're going to start to see, I mean, everyone's wondering about George Springer, but you know, now they have Dexter Fowler. They don't need to necessarily bring him up, and George Springer has uh, strikeout rate issues. So, you know, what, what kind of position players are, are you excited about um, across the board in, in Houston? I mean, I'm still a Chris Carter fan. I, you know his limitations, but the power is so real. Uh, and I, I targeted him in my leagues last year, so I like Chris Carter. You like Altuve on a bounce back year. He struggled with injuries, so you like him to come back. Uh, you know, Fowler, I'm a little more pessimistic about because of his track record away from Coors Field. I want to see how that plays out for him. Um, and... That's right. And then I want to see what uh, Villar can do over a full season in stolen bases. I mean, that guy was running every possible chance he could uh, last year. And I think they've got nothing to lose, so they're going to do that again. So if, you know, if, if you're looking for end game speed source, there's an example. I think Castro will continue to do what he's done because, you know, he's coming off, came off the knee injury that cost him all of 2011, then hurt his hamstring last year. But once he, once he was back from that, he was good to go. Yeah, actually, I, I've, I've, you know, gone on record a lot with the Jason Castro, uh, love because, um, you know, he told me that he, he wanted to alter his, uh, his, his swing plane and that he was trying to, he was toying with, uh, hitting for more power and he was going to hit more fly balls before the season began. And then he did exactly that. And, 
that just makes me believe it. You know, it, it was like all intentional. He, he's like, I know I'm a line drive hitter, but why don't, why don't I just alter my approach just a little bit and see if I can't hit for more power? You know, this is the kind of stadium I'm in. You know, maybe I can hit for more power. And he did it. So I, I tend to believe uh, his. Uh, I tend to believe that he can repeat what he did last year. So I like Castro. For the most part, though, the rest of the team, though, strikes me as a punt batting average strategy. Um, I mean, Dexter Fowler, uh, one of the, the, the key things that people don't get about um, about Coors, I think, is that, yeah, it helps homers a little bit, but it really helps the batting average on balls in play. Yeah, it helps singles. Yeah. The outfielders have to play so deep to cut off the gap. It helps singles if you can do that. I think with Fowler, everybody kind of pictures him as a stolen base guy. He hasn't stolen more than 15 bases in three seasons. Yeah. He stole 27 that one year, and it's gone down and down and down. So under Bo Porter, he's more likely to run more because yeah, he, he's pretty much, if you can take it, go. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that affects his stolen bases. So maybe what he loses in batting average value, he can gain the stolen bases and maybe runs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a decent player, um, and he's useful. And, and if there's a backlash, if, there's t- if the backlash goes too far and says, oh, he'll be nothing outside of Coors, then I'm in. You know, then I'm in. If it's single digits mm-hmm. and we're talking about a guy who could, even with batting average problems, hit 260, 12 homers, 25 stolen bases. I mean, this, these aren't, like, really exciting totals, but these are the kind of things that make for really great fifth outfielders and utility players and really good plug-and-play and plug guys, especially with his Splits. You can you can sort of take advantage of his splits a little bit, um, but uh, the rest of the team, my God, the strikeouts. I mean, I mean, Chris Carter is going to be lucky to hit 225. I feel like uh, maybe the power can really muscle his babbit up a little bit and and kind of turn it into 240 or something. But um, you know, Villar, he strikes out 25 percent of the time, and he doesn't have any power, so he's not going to. He might be able to you know turn some hits you know outs into hits with his legs, but I, I wouldn't bet on him hitting much better. 240. So, um, you know, then they've got other guys that they're going to look at. Kraus, you know, Springer himself, it, it looks like a 25 to 30 percent strikeout guy. Um, so, I mean, it's really a team full of strikeouts. And, um, you know, as much as I, I – and the one guy who doesn't sort of lacks the other skills. I mean, Matt Dominguez only strikes out about league average, but I don't know what he's missing. I, I did have him on labor, and he was a deep league play, and I think he will continue to be because he has a little bit of power. A lot of pop-ups. A lot of pop-ups. A lot of pop-ups. That's where his issue. I mean, he'll get, he can take advantage of that short porch, and he, he pops some home runs, but he also does a lot of infield flies, and that's where he does That's where, why his batting average is lower despite his high contact rate because he doesn't always make solid contact. Yeah, so... You know, I I, uh, I, I, would, I, would, I think there's a lot of deep league plays there, and I love uh, using bad teams, um, you know, for uh, for deep leagues. Um, you know, it'll hurt you in runs in RBI, but at that point you're just looking for undervalued assets, and it feels like bad teams, they don't get the attention a lot of times uh, of the good teams. So, um, yeah, I think there's definitely some, some diamonds in the rough there, but uh, you got to watch out for your batting average. Um, you know, maybe it's a little better if you're in on-base percentage league and, and so on, but um, you know, I'm just looking at. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other some other trades that went down today, or um, some Charlie Morton signing back with Pittsburgh. Charlie Morton back with Pittsburgh. I mean, 18 months ago, Tommy John surgery. Now he's got a three-year, 21 million dollar deal. You know, another kind of kind of like a, like Feldman. Skills are good. It's just health is really the only concern there. But it's nice he's staying in Pittsburgh to take advantage of all that defensive positioning. It's true. I do I do like Pittsburgh pitchers a little bit better, um, and that reminds me. Uh, 
well, first, Morton, the thing that's really interesting to me is uh, when he was at 91 miles an hour, uh, he had terrible splits because he's a sinker-slider guy, and he's a, he's like a, a Justin Masterson-esque guy. He's like a, a, a holiday without the changeup. You know, it's like he, he doesn't have a weapon against lefties. But uh, after Tommy John, he came back, and it was 94, and all of a sudden, you know, that was enough to just rely on his fastball and his dude's four-seamer against uh, against lefties and, and just get through the lineup um, and, and, and just get a ton of grounders like he normally does. So, um, you know, it would be interesting. I think, I think I you know, I hate to make too much of spring velocities, but spring velocities are related to, to the, the rest of your velocity. They might be down a half tick, you know, before they get going. But if he's 91 again, 92 in spring training, I'm, I'm going to be out on him. I just, it, it, there's not enough strikeouts, and if he can't get lefties out, then there's going to be a problem there. The only other, yeah, I agree with all that. The only other move today was the trading Jerry Blevins for Billy Burns uh, to the A's. Billy Burns is a guy that stole 74 bags between high A and double A this year and gets on base a lot. He's a 5'9", 180 fire plug type of guy, but he gets on base and uses his speed. Um, so I'd be curious to see what Oakland does with him you know, with Coco Chris being in his final year of his deal if Burns plays well. So if you're in a dynasty league or a three-year keeper league, if Burns plays well this year, there's a good chance he could slot in behind Coco Chris's Christmas is something yeah. Christmas addicts uh, behind crisp uh, vacated spot for 2015. Yeah, I mean, Gentry will be there, but Gentry's a platoon player, no, so there's. 32. He's going to be 32. He'll be 32 and doesn't hit righties. Yeah, so so there is an opportunity for Burns there. Um, yeah, I was sitting next to Dave Cameron uh, when the news came down, and he he kind of was like, oh, career minor league is what I see. So, I mean, there's no power there. And, you know, there's always the risk with the no power guys that their good plate discipline doesn't mean enough, and they can't, and they don't have enough of a hit tool to really make it work. Uh, but if he's playing center and he's got speed, and he's got he, he's walked more than he struck out in the minor leagues, I do think he's an interesting. Um, acquisition for uh, you know Mark Hulett, uh said that it was uh, one of his favorite sleepers. So there, you know, there is a little bit of div- div- you know divided attitudes about Billy Burns. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these speed guys can go either way. I mean, Delano DeShields Jr. stole 100 bases last year. <clears throat> Sorry, 2012. This year is a little different, uh, and nobody's talking about him anymore because of you know hit issues. Some you know. Uh, slow motor as far as uh, motivation issues, mm-hmm. those kind of things that are getting in his way. But we'll see what this I mean, it's a new opportunity for this kid. The Nationals voted him their minor league player of the year for whatever that was worth. Uh, <laughs> so that that's out there. I mean, the, the Rays are getting at the Russ Kanzler twice. So uh, <laughs> and, 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 so that's how that plays out. But this speed, in an AL, if I'm in an AL Dynasty League, if I've got 40-man rosters like my local league, I'll put that kid on my roster. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, the uh, the last uh, deal that I can think of uh, was uh, Volquez just signed with the Pirates, um, and I guess uh, yeah, it just happened when we when, before we walked out here, and um, you know I guess he fits the mold. And one thing I, I'm really interested in, uh, we know that uh, Russ Martin is is a top five um, pitch framer, and Chris Stewart, and, and yeah, Chris Stewart there as well. Yeah, so now Volquez is pitching to um, you know some of the best pitch framers in the league. He's going to have a defense that's suited to him as a ground ball guy. I really want to see what his, his walk rate is going to be. I'm not going to pay to find out, but, but uh, I, I am going to I'm going to watch his walk rate this year. I mean, do you, it, it's hard to know about framing is just how much it matters. And I think there would be a small sample here, obviously, because it's just going to be one year of Volquez. But I am going to be watching that. Yeah, I completely agree. But with the framing. 
with the positioning, deep NL league, what you want to watch and try to get out? Because a lot of people, I mean, he's not Liriano, but a lot of people were like, really, what's he going to be able to do there? And boom, it works. So better positioning, better framing, that should make him a watch and follow guy. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then just to, to finish up today, uh, since I've got you here, and uh, probably the, the biggest thing that's um, – on minds in Tampa is, is David Price. Uh, he seems to be slated to go. It just it follows the way that the Rays have done business in the past. Um, you know they're kind of being asked in that they trade uh, pitchers before um, it's their last year, uh, before they've gotten too expensive. And, and you know one way somebody put it to me is it's a lot easier to, to sell a pitcher when he's making seven to ten million dollars a year, you know, than it is to sell him when he's right up against our, uh, the last year of arbitration, he's making fifteen or whatever. So, um, you know, David Price should bring in a ransom. Um, you know, one of the things that's always made uh, made a little sense to me with David Price is watching him, seeing that stuff, seeing the velocity, and then seeing the strikeout rate and seeing the whiff rate. Um, and, and I guess what I would uh, posit as a, as a possible theory, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is just that he, he trades command and uh, efficiency uh, for, for uh, strikeout. He's trading strikeouts for command and efficiency but it, I'm surprised this doesn't show up in a ground ball rate so it's it, there there's some things there that I don't that I don't quite get statistically yeah I mean he definitely does that if you look at before he went on the disabled list he was trying to strike guys out it was very inefficient doing so he came back like Cliff Lee I'm, you know, I'm basically going to put the ball where I want to and you decide he's going to force you to swing so the strikeouts were down because he was pitching to the peripherals of the strike zone and using Molina's because he pretty much throws exclusively to him so using the edges of the, using the blacks and saying okay I'm going a cutter here. You're going to swing at it, or you're not going to swing at it, or I'm going to bust you inside. So he definitely trades. Uh, that's his change of process for that. Um, but you know, ground balls. Why he, he bad contact is his goal. I mean, if he gets a ground ball, great. But with that cutter, not often you're going to get a. a you'll get a pop up out of it. You, you get a foul ball. You can get a, a lazy fly ball. Those kind of things. So it's how he uses that pitch and his changeup. I think he gets more ground balls. I'll just change them off the top of my head when he decides to throw it. But he does get cutter happy from time to time. And the 0-2 or 2-2, I'm throwing a cutter on the outer half. And some teams will take advantage of that and start whacking it the other way. And then it's up to him to adjust. So I'd like to see him use either side of the plate. The Rays can still afford him this year. They don't have to deal him. But they know this is primary time for leverage when you look at the market and what's out there and then what team needs are. Well, if you had to uh, put a percentage on it, what uh, what percentage likelihood do you think it, uh, he's dealt? Uh, 80, 85. And do you think it matters uh, what park he goes to, what, what park he calls home next year? No, I don't, because uh, he's mostly a neutral pitcher. I mean, he can get the ground balls if he wanted to, but uh, it's not a problem for him. He may get up a couple more home runs because Tropicana does suppress fly balls, but it, he's, I, I see him as most, mostly neutral. Uh, if he were to go to an NL league, I, that obviously bumps up his value because he doesn't face DHs anymore. He gets to strike out pitchers and pinch hitters. Um, so I would be, if he goes like the Dodgers uh, or the Cubs, that would be uh, even better. You know, uh, I hate to, you know, the, the best thing I can compare it to is the James Shields deal. I mean, the thing that was so great about that for them was they're, they're a contending team. They're, 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 they're not, 
they don't really want your, you know, guy that has five innings in double A. You know, they want, you know, major league, top end, you know, you know, like either in the major leagues or had a taste of the major leagues. They want they want this guy really close. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that it is immediately uh, obvious to me where the match is. Um, have you heard some rumored packages? Uh, not really. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. They failed to draft and develop their high-round draft picks lately. It's just been awful. So, you know, the their top ten prospect was from BP, or from Baseball America came out today, and Jake Odorizzi was number one. Odorizzi oh, is, is considered a safe four yeah, starter, and great. he's the number one guy. Taylor Guerrero's dropped down to three coming off the injury and whatnot. So their failures of drafting going from Buster Posey um, to the next draft, the following draft, they didn't sign either of their first-round draft picks, and they fa- failed to develop any of their high-round draft picks recently. If I see a deal, I would like to see some offense, somebody, uh, offensive prospect included that can fill that gap. Because if you make a price deal, you need to fill that gap because the upper levels, it's rather embarrassing that Jake Odorizzi is your top race prospect <laughs> after years and years and years of being spoiled and being a top, you know, at worst, I, I think uh, one year they were like eighth. I think it was the worst they've ever been. This year, I'm surprised if they're in the top 12. Yeah, so uh, so maybe they would take some some lower level guys. Um, you know, I guess maybe a Zach Lee uh, package uh, might might get it done. Um, you know, the, the problem with the Cubs is, is one of the rumored destinations um, is that it's C.J. Edwards or bust in terms of pitching in the minor leagues, um, and I doubt Samarja is the, the answer coming back. So uh, I'm really I'm watching that one a lot. Uh, the other thing that uh, the Tampa's in on is, um, you know, I you know they they need a first baseman. The, the options right now look like, um, you know, uh, training Loney. Retaining Loney? Retaining Loney or trading for somebody. That's it. There's no other first base. Well, that's Kendrick's Morales. They're not giving up a draft pick. I mean, like I said, they're burning the draft picks. Anyhow, they're not doing well with them. They might as well give up the pick. Um, but I don't see them committing multiple years and giving up the draft pick, even though they've been rather poor with the draft picks. So that's interesting. They, you know, because out on the market, it's Kendrick's Morales, maybe uh, Mike Morse. I don't think he, he will actually cost a, a draft pick. But um, uh, Mike Morse, uh, that, that's, that hits me in the right spot a little bit. Delman Young, I don't think he's well if we walk him back. They were happy with him when he came back uh, down the stretch. Uh, I think that's a fallback option. You could, I mean, you haven't heard one single rumor about Delman Young uh, this week, this month, this offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, if, if he wants a job and they fall back to it, they possibly could. But, I mean, those are known limitations. You know what it is uh, with him. So we'll see where they go. But I, I would be stunned if it was Morales only because... You know, again, they value those draft picks. They know what the value of them are, uh, even though they don't always perform out, unless they could work a sign and trade like the Mets sign Morales. And, okay, yeah, we'll trade you somebody if you give us Morales. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny you bring up the Mets because, um, you know, Ike Davis, I have a piece going up tomorrow about the, the trade value of Ike Davis. And I think, you know, once we saw what we saw with uh, with the trade of Logan Morrison was um, that Ike Davis' trade value is not very high. Um, and that the bar for uh, excellence at first base is so high that you know once you become you know one of the, once you become sort of a flawed first baseman once you're not thought of as a, as a elite first baseman uh, you, you get lumped in this package that sort of gets you either back a, a high end reliever like a Carter Caps or a, a, an iffy pitcher. I mean the, the rumors from Milwaukee are, are Tyler Thornburg who uh, sort of iffy control 92 mile hour average changeup. There's some 
possibilities there, but Milwaukee said it was too much. See, I would have done that if, if I'm, I would have done that deal if I was Milwaukee. I'm not a Tyler Thornburg fan. I don't like any, except for Wally Peralta. It's the only pitcher I like there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm not a Thornburg fan. That shouldn't have held them up. You know, I mean, you know, you're all well aware of Mike Davis's flaws, but that should not have been a deal killer. I mean, I, I hate to be a fanboy and think, you know, oh God, that's the best we can do. You know, that's the best they can get for Ike Davis. Cause I, I think Ike Davis could be uh, anywhere from two to three win uh, first base and just based on, I think his defense is better than the metrics of saying the same the last two years. Uh, I think that uh, he'll, he'll walk 10% of the time plus. He's shown that in the past. And yes, the strikeouts are there, but I do believe that he can have uh, 25 to 30 home run power. That, that package seems to me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Carlos Pena 2000, uh, you know, 2008 to 2010. And if you look at the career of Carlos Pena, he was never really the value that highly. He didn't get, you know, traded. I mean, he got, there was one big trade at the beginning of his career, but that was when he was a prospect. Right. Uh, it was a Billy Bean trade. Uh, but I don't think once he sort of started playing in the major leagues, he was the kind of guy that got one-year deals. And I mean, that's why he ended up being the, the Rays first baseman for so long. He was a, they kept signing him on one-year deals. Well, here's the thing. He ended up being the Rays first baseman because in 2007, uh, he was sent down to the minor leagues. Greg Norton hurt his knee on the final day of spring training. They called him back up and he had 46 home runs a year. That's how he ended up being the Rays' first baseman. I mean, they were ready to let him go, and they're like, oh, wait a second, come back, turn around. So, and it worked out for him, uh, but that's how I see Ike Davis playing out. Right, I don't think I don't think that's the kind of thing that you, you trade, like, um, real, you know, great controllable assets. I mean, the other name that's coming up now is Mike Fires. I, I wonder uh, what the the sort of Tampa equivalent of this is, because you know, Tampa is a rumor destination for Ike. I can't even, I don't have any comp for a Mike Fires or I'm trying to think of a high-end reliever that, I mean, they've got a, enough, they've got enough pitching prospects that they can make something work, but, um, honestly don't know where they would go with that. What about, what about some of the guys like Coloma and Torres? Are they too good? Yeah, I think they value Torres too much, especially Colome. They value him. Rivera has got really good live arm, fastball commands a little iffy. Um, no, they value they value Torres too much. He's like their Swiss Army knife. Uh, one last Portland. name, one last name, Tim Beckham. Oh, that could happen in a heartbeat. <laughs> See, I mean, they don't really, they don't really, they're not expecting anything of him. What, do you think? What do you think a bounce back would look like from Tim Beckham? What do you think uh, the best case scenario for Tim Beckham would look like? Uh, a Sean Rodriguez career. What about Sean Rodriguez? Uh, he's he's the platoon guy. I mean, he cannot hit right-handed pitching. Um, I know the Marlins were rumored at him, but it makes sense that he just can't hit righties. It's his, it's a mechanic and a swing. He's one of those guys that hits with his hands out in front of him and has to whip the ball through, and uh, and righties expose him because he's got to cheat to get to it, uh, and that's how they eat him up. So he hits lefties well. He's versatile, and that's great. And that's what I see Tim Beckham. I don't see him as a major league record. So that's your uh, trade value for Ag Davis, people. Uh, yeah, so enjoy the piece tomorrow. Uh, read uh, Jason's piece on uh, on Trumbo's flaws. Um, you know, you could pair that with uh, my interview with Jason, where uh, with Trumbo, where he. Um, where he uh, talked about how he's not really a, a great innate um, uh, guy when it comes to play discipline. He's just doing his best to, to make the most out of his tools. Um, that was a fun interview, I thought. So um, we, I hope we broke down some of the, those uh, deals for you, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get on the horse with this sleeper on the bus thing. We'll, we'll have it all figured out, but uh, we wanted to check in from the from the winter meeting to give you uh, an idea of what's coming. So uh, for Jason Coletti, I'm Eno Saris, and we're out. Uh, for-